Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. Tuberculosis continues to be a public health epidemic in India, especially among those living in urban slums. What challenges do physicians face when treating these patients? And has there actually been any progress made in an effort to eradicate tuberculosis? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals, and welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. Joining us today is Dr. Shelley Batra, a practicing gynecologist in New Delhi and president of Operation Asha, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to fighting tuberculosis among the slum dwellers of India. Thank you, Shelley, for, for coming again. Uh, thank you, Maury, for having invited me. It's great to be here with you. It's a wonderful opportunity for me, again, to sit across the table from you and have you bring me up to date on Operation Asha. It's been, I think, three to four years since we last talked. For those of uh, our listeners who are not familiar with your organization, could you tell me what is Operation Asha? Uh, Operation Asha is a 501c3 nonprofit registered in the U.S., also incorporated in India as, a, as an NGO, a non-government organization, and our mission is to serve the disadvantaged in India and all over the world doing tuberculosis treatment. Uh, we are currently the largest NGO in India in TB treatment. We are serving more than 6 billion people in India. We are the exclusive providers in these areas where we are doing active case finding, treating TB, default tracking, education, destigmatizing tuberculosis, and preventing MDR-TB, and now using technology for best results in TB treatment. You mentioned the disadvantaged. Could you give me an idea of where your patients are and where they're located? And often that phrase, brag pickers, is used. Are those your patients? Oh, yes. When I started work in Operation Asha, I decided to have my first center in the, in the most disadvantaged area. In slum dwellers, there's a hierarchy, and the rag pickers are the lowest of the low because they live surrounded by dirt and disease, so no other person wants to interact with them, not even the other slum dwellers. When I visited this particular slum, there were mountains of garbage all around. The houses were made of cardboard boxes opened out. People were living there, defecating there, cooking over there. There was no sewage line, no toilets, no drinking water, no electricity. The stench was unbearable. There were rivers of water flowing between the huts, and there was sewage flow, excreta, human excreta floating on the water. I told my colleagues, is this how human beings should live? It's a shame. Get this place cleaned up. And you know what the rag pickers said to me? Don't touch our garbage. This is our raw material. This is where I started work. India is a land of 700 million mobile phones, but not enough toilets. There is no housing, no education, no infrastructure, especially for those who need it the most. With that description, what is your model for delivering medication to these patients that have no doorway, no door, no roofs? These people are the poorest of the poor. They live below poverty line. They live in absolute poverty, earning less than a dollar a day. Now, we have to take TB treatment to the doorsteps of these people. We cannot expect them to go 
to a center and the access medicines at a center. Now, in the WHO-sponsored DOTS program, DOTS being an acronym for directly observed therapy, short course, the patient has to go to a designated TB center 60 times uh, during six months and swallow the medicine in the presence of a trained provider. Now, just imagine if the patient is living here and the nearest dot center is, say, six miles away. These centers could be open in the usual business hours, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., which is the time when the poor have to, well, earn food for the family. So if the choices between work and wages on one hand and TB treatment of the, on the other, patients will choose work and wages. If at all they go for TB treatment, they will take TB treatment only as long as the symptoms last, which could be a month or one and a half months. And that is how MDR steps in. That is how drug-resistance TB develops because people just give up their treatment halfway. So the model is to take TB treatment to the doorsteps of slum dwellers. Deep in the urban slums in disadvantaged areas, we've got the dot centers open in, well, small shops, in temples, in people's homes. And because of economic reasons, business in slum areas continue for even 20 hours. For example, in the Hindu temple, the first prayer is at 6.30 in the morning. So think of little children going to school. They can get their medicine while going to school, and no one will need to know. The last prayer could be at 9.30. So factory workers working the, the evening shift, they can take their medicine on their way back. And the privacy is maintained, and they don't have to miss work and wages. In India alone, 100,000 women are thrown out of their families each year to die of disease and starvation if they have TB. There is so much social stigma. 300,000 children are thrown out of school or forced to leave school because they have TB, or if a wage-earning parent has got TB and they have to take up jobs to support the family. $300 million is the loss of wages alone because of tuberculosis. $23 billion is the loss to the Indian economy because of tuberculosis. The social stigma is so horrible, people lose jobs. So what are we to do? We have to make TB treatment accessible, convenient for the patients. And this is what Operation Asha is all about. So the people come to your provider. Uh, there is also counseling there. If the person doesn't come for their drug follow-up, how do you know that? And who is willing to go and knock on the doors? The neighborhoods have no street names. They have no numbers. How do the people follow? And also, as you've told me in the past, there are many dialects in India. How, do people, how are people able to communicate? That's a very interesting point you've brought up. For two dot centers, we have a full-time employee known as a counselor. Now, this counselor is selected from the community he serves. He himself belongs to the disadvantaged areas. And I can say with pride that more than 70% of the Operation Asha budget goes to providing jobs for the disadvantaged. So imagine a counselor who lives in a particular slum. He speaks the same language, eats the same food, and he can navigate the informal address system because there's no house number, no road number, as you've rightly said. And he's the best person to identify where a patient lives. Now, if I were to go to such a colony, I would be considered judgmental. People will not like the way I talk, the way I walk, and would not like my accent either. But someone who lives there, he's the best person to provide TB education, counseling, and 
uh, default tracking, tracking of missed doses. Uh, one more thing we have added in the recent past. In 2009, we developed the biometric identification system in which every patient is registered on a laptop. Now, the biometric system is taking technology to disadvantaged areas. Each patient has to give a fingerprint before he is enrolled uh, in the TB treatment program. And every time he comes to take a dose, the fingerprint is taken, the screen turns green, and the patient is logged in. The screen says so-and-so logged in, and the patient takes the medication. Now, if the patient doesn't come for the dose, an SMS goes to the concerned counsellor, the counsellor has to go to the patient's house next morning and the counsellor carries an identical biometric terminal with him, which is simply a 10-inch palm top with a little uh, fingerprint reader attached to it. And when the counsellor does default tracking in the patient's home, again the fingerprint is taken, which ensures that the visit has been made, the education has been done. And for this, the counsellor gets an extra cash incentive, a bonus for visiting the patient's house. So this is what some people call e-compliance. You've actually taken a technique which is pretty rudimentary, visiting homes, and added a high-tech piece to your program. Yes, and the reason was we didn't want our counselors to try gaming the system for the sake of the cash incentives and creating MDR in the world. You see, my very big concern is about drug resistance. Ever since I've started work in TB, I remembered what my teachers in medical school taught us. Drug resistance has been there since the 1940s, since the era of streptomycin. Drug resistance has been increasing. For MDR-TB, initially it was very unfortunate that public health authorities turned a blind eye to it. In fact, the World Health Organization, uh, I mean, they actually declared that MDR-TB need not be treated at all because it's taking away resources. And look at where we are now. In fact, in the Indian government itself was very, very unhappy with the way I would talk about MDR-TB. And they would say that India has 100% dots coverage since 2006. What is MDR-TB? What are you talking about? And when I would talk like that, I mean, we were like on, there would be like battle lines drawn against me and some of the, the WHO officials in India and the Indian government. And look at the scenario of what it is now today. I feel these people have blood on their hands like Lady Macbeth. India has one of the biggest number of MDR cases. Mumbai reported 12 cases of XXDR, which they, they called as TDR-TB, total drug resistant. Of course, those were XXDR cases. But what does it mean? We have to see the writing on the wall. We have to act now. We have to prevent MDR-TB. See, something that can be prevented should be prevented. If we prevent now, we save so many human lives, we save suffering, we save children from being orphaned, and we save billions of dollars in treatment of MDR-TB. You mentioned dollars, and of course we're all interested in dollars. Could you give me an idea of the difference of basic first-line treatment for six months for somebody who has a susceptible bug, uh, has a, a tuberculosis-sensitive bacilli, as opposed to somebody who has to go through multiple drug treatment. What's the difference? What are the numbers? 
Uh, treating drug-sensitive TB is not a difficult proposition at all. It's neither time-consuming nor expensive, and the medicines are easily available. The cost of medicines is not more than $200, and medicines and diagnostics are available for free through the Government of India pipeline. And of course, all international agencies are now focused on TB, whether it's the WHO or USAID or CEDA, all governments, donor agencies, technical agencies now believe that TB treatment has to be done. Uh, the operation ASHA cost per patient is only $40. An investment manager of a huge international venture philanthropy firm said that operation ASHA's cost is at least 19 times less than its nearest competitor. So far, so good. Now let's talk of drug-resistant TB. A very, very big challenge indeed. Second-line drugs cost thousands of dollars. The cost of treating MDR-TB ranges from $3,000 to $10,000, depending on the country. The Operation ASHA cost itself is $400 to treat uh, uh, an MDR-TB patient because the treatment takes two years, not six months. It's a daily regimen. For six months, patients have to take injectables. And by the way, no one has got money to pay 10 rupees for the injection. Who will give the injection? The community health workers cannot give the injection. It has to be a nurse. Then the patient has to go at least 30 times over two years to the public hospital. There are repeatedly sputum cultures being done, sputum smears done, x-rays being done, repeated serum creatinines done. To, to take care of the side effects, to prevent side effects of the second-line drugs. And these trips are not being paid for by the public hospitals or by the government of India. Now, the cost per patient that the patient has to bear is $200, and patients are earning less than a dollar a day. And by the way, they have no job if they've got MDR-TB. So where is the money coming from? And the medicines are toxic, side effects are horrendous. There is kidney failure, renal failure, seizures, arthralgia, hypothyroidism, electrolyte imbalance. You name it and they have it. One of my patients has turned deaf with canamycin. And one of my patients, Ramshri, who has got XDR-TB, is living a life of total misery because she doesn't have money for the, for the drugs that have been prescribed and are not available for free. You know, the uh, I think back to the United States in the 1990s, we had an epidemic of multiple drug-resistant tuberculosis in New York City. And actually, we, we, meaning the public health service, treated patients with DOT. Actually, they went to their homes and watched these patients swallow their pills, and they were incentivized. They were given, actually, dollars. Uh, this was a successful program. Maybe in the United States, you need dollars to get people to take their medicine. But do you incentivize, actually, the patient? Do you provide some other reason for them to take their medicine, something in addition to the medicine themselves? Yes. So we have to give patients some incentive to get cured. And the biggest incentive that we give patients is before we start treatment, we do an intensive counseling of patients, include the families and make it clear to them that if you treat your tuberculosis, you will become a productive member of society. You will be able to earn for the family, have food on the table. If you are not working, you can take care of your family, your children, and be a good mother and a good housewife. Whatever the whatever the profession they are carrying on. Apart from that, what we do is whenever we get, well, we get free gifts from people for a lot of distribution. And as a gentleman from Mackenzie once said, Operation Asha has laid the last mile of the cable, which is the most difficult, the actual connectivity with the disadvantaged. So we use free gifts 
uh, as incentives to patients. We tell them, if you miss your TB medication, you will not be eligible for the free blankets given by CTB Association of India or for the protein biscuits given by a kind-hearted American gentleman who believes in giving good nutrition to the TB patients or whatever is given for free. So food items and gifts are given free on a regular basis, but depending on as and when we have them. Uh, we are not giving money. We do not have the money to do so, unfortunately. I would love to tell every patient that we can give you a huge amount of money. And in fact, more than that, I would like to tie up with a, a, a company that, uh, that does these mobile phones and tell them that every time the patient gives a fingerprint, give them five rupees of free talk time. That will be an incentive, and we can link it uh, through the technology device that we have. And we are hoping that this might take off. But, of course, uh, there's a lot more that we need to do. Well, today we've been discussing uh, Operation Asha with Dr. Shelley Batra. She certainly provided us with some hope in her new program that brings medication to the actual doorstep of patients who are most difficult to reach in the slums of India. And I want to thank her for joining us. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com. 